Hey, witches. Welcome to The Lion, The Witch, and The Podcast. We are two mystic Leos discussing spirituality and human condition in the post-pandemic world. So hop in, witches, for going hexing. Guess what year it is. Guess what year it is. What year is it? It's 2022. What? We've officially been around for a year. I mean, what? we've been around for like a lot longer than that. Like we're both in our literally, early 20s, but yes. But... <laughs> <laughs> what are we just like? We're born last year, and all of a sudden, like... <laughs> you know what? Like that's. I'm sure people like listening to this are just like, yeah, I can fucking see that. <laughs> These crazy bitches. <laughs> Hey, you know what? We're not crazy. We're just Leos, okay? We're just Leos. We're just enthusiastic about literally everything. Everything and anything and ever. Okay, not everyone. But anyway, which is hi. Hey. Hey. Hey, hey Sean. Hey. hey. Oh my God. Oh, I'm sweating. Ooh, wow. Okay. Ooh. Oh, so, start out the year strong. I know. Seriously. Oh my God. I did buy some new natural deodorant that nice. is lavender and sage. Because Ooh. I know, right? And I just put Send it in my that. arm, right? Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I just put it like on my armpits. And I feel like sometimes with natural deodorants, it takes longer for your body to adjust. So like you're still yeah. gonna sweat. You might smell a little, but mm-hmm. it's gonna thank you in the end. Yeah, so girl, my new natural <laughs> deodorant is called a sweat. And oh. uh, so literally I've stopped like wearing deodorant unless I'm going somewhere. And let me tell you, the soup- is good. <laughs> Smell like soup. <laughs> but you know think- what? That is okay. We are breaking beauty standards in 2022, babes. Like it's not I, <laughs> I honestly like that needs to go on a shirt. <laughs> the soup is good. <laughs> <laughs> and then put a natural deodorant crystal like underneath it. <laughs> I promise I wear deodorant when I see people. I just like when I don't like go anywhere. Oh, there's no point. There's no point. It's like know? shaving. It's like shaving. Like exactly. why do we need to Exactly. Thank you. Breaking beauty standards in 2022. Exactly. Like speaking of 2022. So Sean, how witchy has your week been like starting off the new year? It's been good. It's been good. I took my first trip into New York City um, in what, two years? I think the last time I was in New York, I was in New York to see you. I think the last time I was there. Yeah. And I remember specifically because I did take a video of a corgi in your, like basically your backyard inside town. Um, so we went back, we went to all the usual witchy haunts. We went to our places, our places that I would go with two with you, the crystal garden, the flower power, the enchantments, Mwah. just all the best places. We went to the Harry Potter store and let me tell you, friendo, let me tell you, it was fucking good. It was oh, yeah. good. Oh my God. Like I got Luna's wand and I like, I love Luna. She's like one of my favorite characters. I got her wand that I've been wanting for so long. I got an advanced potion magic notebook Fuck yeah, from my did. favorite movie. Well, my favorite book and my favorite movie. Um, Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince. And, you know, I was just like nerding out the whole time. I was like, ooh, honey dukes, ooh this, ooh that. You know, being like the... The annoying nerd that I am. Um, I can't wait to take you to Universal Studios when like the next time you and Zach come back and we're going to go to a Harry Potter world, like you're going to die. 
Yeah. It's oh yeah. it's it's great. I love yeah. it. I loved Diagon Alley in um in Florida when I went and I want to go back and I want to go to Hogsmeade Village. And yeah, I, I, I can't wait. I'm a big Potterhead. But anyway, it was a fun trip. We kept our masks on literally the entire time we were there. Like we didn't take it off once. Mm-hmm. I think like the one time we took it off, we like <laughs> went down an alley where there was no people and just like wiped our masks out because of all the condensation. Because we literally did not take it off around anybody. Um, and we flew in, flew out, tried to stay mm-hmm. away from everybody. And yeah, it was a, it was a fun trip and I can't wait to go back. Mm, it was the trip you needed. Like it was the it trip was. you needed to go to New York without me being there, which is sad. I understand, but can't wait to go back. Yep. 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 Very good. Very good. Mm-hmm. How would you was your week? How would you was my week? Um, so we always record like we try and record earlier than how our, uh, when our episode comes out. So recently the last full moon happened and mm-hmm. I felt a lot of shit. Also winter solstice. Did you see Celine? Did oh, you yeah. see her? She was oh, yeah. fucking stunning. Huge. She was gold. Right. I was like, Oh my God. I literally, I remember I was on the phone with Blake in the car and I was like, Blake, oh my God, do you see her? And she's like, he's like, what are you, what are you talking about? (laughs) Look up, look up. And he's like, I can't see her. I'm like, well, I'm looking. So literally the whole time driving, like it was so hard for me to like pay attention to the road (laughs) because I'd be looking up being like, sorry officer i was looking at the moon (laughs) yeah it's like it's not i'm sorry i'm sorry everyone but so um that was really fun and yeah just feeling i don't know better energy uh, just different maybe because i put um so uh, one of our besties the warm-hearted witch yeah her sigil stickers are amazing literally like yes we literally have the same sticker on our phone and honestly ever since i put her sticker on i feel so different yeah it's a psychic protection one right yeah yeah that's the one i have on my phone too yeah of course we do twins fucking twins. well we literally got them the fact that we literally got them probably on the same day and then we got them on the same day like of course (laughs) of course so thank you samantha and if you haven't seen her stickers we put it on our story but like also go to her shop because they fucking work i also got one Mm -hmm. for celine and persephone and i have them on their altars and it works Yes. We love Samantha so much. She is such a wonderful human being, such a great friend and such an amazing um, small business owner as well. Mm -hmm. So go check out her sigil work. Her sigil is like, sigil work is is probably the finest I've ever seen. Oh my God. Seriously. Obsessed, unmatched, unparalleled. Um, But yeah, you know, like kind of going back to what you said about feeling different. I feel like through 2021, we've kind of like especially with like our business and making this podcast, we've learned so much, Mm -hmm. so much about business, about people, about community, about relationships and about ourselves as well. What we're, what we're kind of putting out, what we're doing right and what we're doing wrong. And I think that was just like probably one of the most valuable lessons I've learned in so long over this past year of just like, you know, how to be. And I'm kind of coming into this winter solstice, like so much more aware, Mm -hmm. I think self-aware, aware aware of like, you know, 
kind of what's going on in, in the universe, what's going on in the world, what's going on with people. And, you know, it's been a hard, it's been a hard year. We've learned a lot of hard lessons and we've, you know, we've had some heartbreak and we've had some wins. And I think we're definitely going to walk out of this year with those lessons really at the forefront of our mind. And I don't think we'll ever forget them because they were hard lessons. I agree. I'm excited. I'm excited about kind of the revision of self that I've, I've done the the reassessment and how I'm kind of going to approach life going forward. I'm I hope that everybody has kind of like been able to look at this past year, maybe this past two years and really come on the other side, not only better, but like more aware, more knowledgeable, even if it's just, you learned one thing and now that's like changed your life. I think it's definitely been a very life-changing year. Oh yeah. Also the fact that like, I literally wrote about that in my journal this morning, literally you did. <laughs> but like, just, I literally wrote down, I'm like, why do I feel this certain way about this person? How can I change this? Like, I'm very aware as why I, this triggers me or why I have these reactions, but like, do I want to change it? Do I want to change the relationship? Do I want to cross, do I want to make that boundary? Like why being way more aware of yeah. myself, other people, what's going on. And hopefully, like you said, like this year, like we'll take it up a notch. We'll yeah. really make those changes. We'll really like see. And yeah, yeah. I just I think, can't believe like it's 2022. Like it's fucking wild. I know. I think that, you know, you learning that reactionary behavior, you learning your triggers. I think that's a great lesson coming out of 2021. Um, I've had the same lesson. So yeah, cheers. And cheers <laughs> to that with my Leo cup. Cheers to that. Well, the best, only the best. Mm. Mm. And I hope all of you can hear me when I drink my tea, like Sean does. Every time. <laughs> Golfing. Yeah. <laughs> it's gorgeous. It's lovely. Wouldn't Thank be you, you without it. Thank you. All right. So <laughs> what are we talking about today? We are popping back to Celtic magic part two. Um, as a refresher, in part one, we focused on the roots of Celtic magic in which we discussed the evolution of Celtic culture over time and the components of Celtic magic covering the life force of the practice and the elements of the Celtic magical path. We also did a deep dive into Celtic earth magic and animal magic, which was fun. And now we'll resume by covering Celtic water magic, sky magic, and the divine allies that we may come across on the Celtic path. Yeah, I also wanna just reiterate our resources. Um, Wild Magic, Celtic Folk Traditions for the Solitary Practitioner by Daniel Forrest. The Book of Celtic Magic by Christopher Hughes. Water Witchcraft, Magic and Lore from the Celtic Tradition by Anwen Avalon, and Celtic Magic by DJ Conway. Yes, and if you haven't listened to part one of Celtic Magic, that is episode 49. All right, all right, all right, all right, all right. So let's get to Celtic Water and Sea Magic. Following on from our explorations of the element Earth and the sacred Celticplicity of Earth, Sea, and Sky, we now turn our attention to the element of water and the sea that surrounds these lands. So often understood as a liminal access point to the other worlds and the spirits. In the British Isles and Ireland, bodies of water, rivers and natural springs, wells and marshy liminal places on the landscape have been venerated since earliest times. Traces of ritual activity have been found to have occurred around bodies of water since the Neolithic era, some 6,000 years ago, dating to 4,000 CE. 
One traditional practice was to make offerings to the spirit of the waters, such as stone axe heads and later bronze and iron swords, as well as other precious goods and items. Another common offering was items which took skill to prepare, such as large wooden containers of butter, known as bog butter. Oh yeah, baby. By the Iron Age, the spirits of the waters were considered to be female deities, with many rivers being called after their goddesses. It's likely this tradition was already thousands of years old by this time. The practice of venerating water sources as places of ritual and spiritual significance continued. Many natural springs became the holy wells of the Christian era, and many original goddesses became demoted into female saints. Nonetheless, the tradition of honoring and visiting holy wells as a spiritual activity continues to this day in various forms. You know I love my water magic. Mm -hmm. We don't get into that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Sacred springs and wells have long held special magic as entrances into the womb of the land and the other world in its various forms. Like ancient flint mines that have been found dating back to the Paleolithic era, they were likely honored as places of earth energy, home for spirits, ancestors, and gods, and were likely treated with some measure of fear and trepidation. By the Iron Age, they were places of ritual divination and possibly sacrifice. The life of the tribe or community was dependent upon its water sources, which could bring healing or disease. As such, the spirits of water had the power of life and death over the people. Our dependence on water in the Western world may feel very removed now from our immediate landscape with the invention of modern plumbing, but the water spirits have as much power over our lives as ever. Our relationship with the water spirits can be mended and vastly improved if we give them care and respect and return to the ancient practices of making offerings and observing bodies of water as sacred liminal places. Over time, the sacred wells of the Celtic pagan Iron Age and Romano British period became Christian holy wells, usually associated with specific saints who may or may not have visited their associated sites. Many of these saints may have been adapted from the earlier gods and genius Loki, the local gods associated with the area. Some wells or springs became associated with churches or monasteries. The very fact that these sites have been in use for so long hint at their previous pre-Christian sanctity. One traditional practice that probably predates Christianity is well dressings. This is usually associated with Beltana or May Day. A well or spring is decorated with flowers and other offerings, as well as candles to honor the spirit of the well, which these days is usually a saint or the Virgin Mary. In addition to spring water, we can also work with rainwater with a little care. Rainwater can be gathered in containers for use in gardens and a host of other things around the home. Often it is fine to drink, although this absolutely needs testing and checking first. Gathering rainwater as well for use in blessings and magic, where it can be an alternative to fresh water, carrying the energies of the air and upper world rather than the earth. Rainwater is wild water. It has traveled far and brings messages from distant places, drawing from within us a reminder to be spontaneous, to surrender, and nature will have its way and will always be stronger than us. Unlike river and spring water that we must travel to or seek out, rainwater comes to us, thrumming its insistent fingers on the window panes of our souls. Which is so true. Like sometimes when, so moon water has its own magic and it's beautiful, amazing. Like you feel the energy, but when you capture rainwater, Mm -hmm. there is just something so different about it. 
Yeah. And that's especially special for you being in California where it almost never rains. Exactly. Exactly. And this week starting um, tomorrow, it's going to be raining like five fucking days. So you better believe I'm going to get rainwater every single day. You better believe. Anwin Avalon, author of Water Witchcraft, says that rivers like the ocean are ever changing. They are constantly moving forward and ever flowing, rowing the earth beneath them, transforming their banks and raging through the landscape. Rivers had long been associated with spirits and the other world. Indeed, running water in general was considered sacred by the Druze, who thought that evil spirits could not cross it because of its holiness and purification properties. This belief may have come from the perception that while the living could cross the water at bridges and fords, the dead could not, but had to be carried across. This, in turn, may have lent validity to the belief that evil spirits and ghosts could not cross running water. Yeah, really interesting. I remember, um, I think the original Dracula had yeah. stuff on my... Yeah. Anyway... The direction in which a river or stream flowed often determined its magical properties. Water that flowed towards the sun was believed to have both healing and blessing properties. A stream formed from seasonal runoff in the month of March was considered lucky, and water gathered there was used in luck charms and spells. North flowing rivers were deemed to be great places to deposit spells or to send messages to the underworld. In Scotland, Water from a south-running stream was considered to have healing properties. Fords were also considered places of healing, and water gathered and used there was believed to have curative properties. People either washed themselves in the stream or drank from it, or sometimes dipped a shirt in the water and placed it on one seeking the cure. Ancient druids sought wisdom and healing dreams by sleeping and meditating next to running water. Sean, have you done that? Oh, you know it. Mm-hmm. Spending time just listening to the flow of a river, the roar of a waterfall, or the thrum of raindrops on the roof is an excellent way to tune out the conscious mind and access an altered state of consciousness in which deeper knowledge or spirit connection may be found. Time spent just listening to the roll of the waves by the seashore has the same effect and can almost hypnotize us or lull us to sleep in such a way that we are never fully aware of ourselves and could be struck by bright and powerful vision and insights. Running water can be described as having its own voice, sometimes a roar, and other times whispers, laughter, or singing. The sounds water makes very infinitely and are never repeated. This is an excellent tool for divination, and it can help us to access the voice of the land and the gods themselves, which is so true. That's why I feel like maybe um, when all like the sleep, like sound machines, the ocean fucking pass out every oh, single time. a good one. Like, yeah. Every time. I like the ocean and the forest one as well. Yeah. Water and sea magic are closely connected to the cycles of the moon. This is due in part to an energetic resonance between the two. Water spirits have a great affinity to the moon and its shifting, subtle, and mysterious energies, Mm. and they both have a strong effect on human emotions and psychic senses, the subconscious, and our deeper intuitive awareness. Scientifically, we know that the movement of the tides, and by extension, all bodies of water on the earth are affected gravitationally by the moon, and to a lesser extent by the sun. While scientifically, the effects of the moon's proximity to the earth, which creates the tides, have a minuscule effect on lakes and smaller bodies of water, including the human body, it is still something that many people can feel. Meanwhile, the moon's effect upon the Earth's oceans is huge, causing energetic as well as physical tides that we can work with very effectively. 
Loosely speaking, low tides can drain energy away from something, to banish, to cleanse, to lay, to rest something which no longer serves us. We can also use high tides to bring in things, to bless, to make a, a project fertile, to draw in that which we wish to attract. It is useful to become aware of tide times and the seas nearest to our location, easily found online, as we need to be physically present at the seashore to work with this, although it does help. Equally, it's worth noting that the period up to the sea's highest and lowest points upon the shore will be the most effective time to perform magic. Save the very highest and lowest turning points for things like spirit communion and divination or to overturn circumstances against you. And we couldn't discuss water magic without bringing up some of the characters that popped up in Celtic mythology. Starting with Selkie, which is a dialect word for seal across Scotland and the Orkneys. It is also the name of the seal spirits, seal men and women who occasionally come to shore and shed their seal skins to dance upon the sand and sing beneath the full moon. In the old tales, Selkie men and women are always beautiful and frequently fishermen fell in love with Selkie women and take them as their wives. They hide their seal skin so they cannot transform again and return to the sea. But the Selkie woman always finds her skin again in time, leaving her children and the forlorn fishermen longing for her return. Often the Selkie woman does return, but once a year, to see her children and teach them sea magic and healing potions. Selkie men were said to be as handsome as the women and would entrance human women with their deep, dark eyes. Seal men would willingly leave their seal skins hidden and search for mortal women in land to seduce. At other times, women would seek out a selkie lover by going to the shore at high tide and shedding seven tears upon the waves. What a story. I know, right? That's so crazy. Romantic. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> Where are those men out there? Right? <laughs> Get us some seal men. Anyway. <laughs> the Finn folk are another supernatural race living in the seas around Orkney and Shetland. They were said to be dark and terrible sea sorcerers who could come ashore and take human form at will. It was said that they would steal away mortal young men and women to their homes at Finn Folk Ahim, their realm beneath the sea, or their magical vanishing island, Hildeland. The Finn Folk had incredible seafaring skills and could control the weather to bring storms or call upon the ocean with their magic. The traces of the Old Norse traditions may be seen in these tales, as the lands where the Sami folk lived in the far north used to be called the Emark. The term water horse is used to describe beings that are half horse, goat, or bull, and half sea creature. Water horses represent a wide variety of mystical creatures from the other world and the fairy world, some of whom are shapeshifters able to change into handsome young men. There are many accounts of water horses from all over the world. Sometimes these creatures are referred to as kelpies or water bulls. Water horses can be classified into three categories, helpful, mischievous, and straight up dangerous. Some are known to help humans and are benevolent. Others are completely benign as long as you don't ride them and sometimes very mischievous. Still others like kelpies are incredibly dangerous and have been known to eat humans, horses, and other animals. Kelpies have been described as aquatic demons who cause mischief, drown men, and sink ships. Oh my god. Yikes. <laughs> the shoreline and seaside are great places to forage for natural, magical objects and resources. Hmm, Sean, you know that very well. These objects may grow or live in the area, or they could be washed up by the waves, originating across vast distances. Some objects often have magical attributes, 
which connect them to the land, to animals and plants, and to the sea itself, as the ocean marks them as its own. Sea wash magical objects have their own unique qualities and power, and just as the motion of the waves and salt can affect their appearances, so the seawater and its lunar-based movements will add their own energies to the mix. Equally, magical items may be washed in seawater for strong cleansing and banishing of any negative energies. One such object is a mermaid's purse. Ooh. Ooh. Mermaid's purses are small, hard, roughly rectangular objects that are often found along the tide line along the shoreline. They are usually dark brown in color and are the now empty egg sacs of various kinds of shark. These strange and charming objects have a long tradition of use among sea witches for protection, wealth, and fertility magic, and as powerful natural talismans. Associated with mermaids, these powerful, beautiful, and treacherous spirits of the sea, these are thought of as distinctly feminine magic, though they can be used by anyone. If you bring a mermaid's purse home with you, it's important to give the sea a gift in exchange, such as a silver coin, a bunch of flowers, or a song. Always be environmentally conscious when making natural offerings. Gifts of poetry and song are preferable to physical gifts. One traditional use of the mermaid's purse was to bury it at the threshold of the home or bury one in each corner of one's property. Another was to gather the purses with other items into a charm bundle for fertility with herbs and other charms such as shells and seeds. Carrying or meditating with one may help you to access the realms of water spirits, mermaids themselves, or the deep powers of the sea. Mm. Seashells are also wonderful magical tools. A combination of earth and water magic, they are often thought to correspond to ideas around fertility and love magic, as well as beauty abundance and goddess work. Shells can be fantastic for holding water in ceremonies and rituals, and as special bowls for offerings. They can also be useful parts of wild divination kits. Beautifully symmetrical scallop shells are sacred to the goddesses Venus and Aphrodite and are useful in love magic as part of a ritual or spell to wear as a talisman or as a part of a magical bundle. A spiral-shaped shell reveals astonishing sacred geometry. This shell is useful for magic related to growth, expansion, and renewal, as well as working with time and shamanic journeying as in the sacred triple spiral of the Celts relating to birth, death, and rebirth. Now, John, you got me some beautiful shells for when yes. you went to Massachusetts in the summer. Mm -hmm. I have them on my altar, on Celine's altar. I also have them in the bathroom, so... Nice, perfect places mm -hmm. for them. I have them on Hecate's altar as well. I usually, oh, yeah. um, so I think I've told you before, I have my my altars for my deities in uh, the room I'm in here. Um, I also have a nice bedroom altar as well. And in the summer, it's a it's totally a sea witch altar. Oh yeah. So in the summer, I have the shells all over my dresser, and thankfully, they no longer stink. <laughs> I'm dead. So anyway, <laughs> one particularly useful stone found on the seashore is white quartz, which is often found amongst the other stones and can be detected due to its glassier qualities than other pebbles. This natural smooth crystal has been found at Celtic and earlier Bronze Age archaeological sites, especially around the graves or places associated with ceremony. Large versions of these were found liberally scattered around the Irish complex at Newgrange and have been used to restore its decorative entryway. 
while naturally tumbled quartz has a very clear yet grounded energy that can be useful for scrying as well as healing, gathering a few stones when you come across them to give as an offering to sacred sites is a nice practice so long as it is done in moderation and with sensitivity. Mm, okay, next part of the Google Doc, Celtic sky magic. This is going to be dope as fuck. After exploring and examining the magic of earth and sea or water and or water, we now turn our attention to the element and magic of air and the spiritual presences of the sky as understood in the Celtic cultures. In Scotland, especially in the Highlands, there exists the tradition of the four directions, each direction being associated with a season, a wind, and a host of other lore. The east direction is related to the spring, the south, the summer, the west, autumn, and the north, winter. Moving in a sun-wise direction was used to bless someone or an area, and processions were often held carrying fire, moving in a sun-wise direction to clear evil or bring in good health. Conversely, walking counterclockwise or against the sun, also known as Wittershins, was used to banish something from an area going against the turn of nature. The four directions were closely connected to the four winds, which were considered to bring in the energy or qualities of the respective directions, carrying spirits in their wake. The east and east wind was said to bring in good things and was associated with the spring. The south was associated with summer and brought warm winds, but sometimes drought. The west brought storms associated with the autumn and the harsh weather of the autumn sea. But the north wind was feared the most as the winter wind, bringing in the bitter cold from the far northern ice and the wind that carried the Kalia, the old woman of winter. In the Irish tradition is the fascinating belief that the winds each have different qualities and even different colors. The direction of the wind that blew upon the day you were born is said to have a particular significance as it blows the air of your first breath into your lungs and carries with it wisdom and lessons. All the land it has traveled over thus gives you life in that moment and will carry you until the end of your days. There are many ways to work with the many colored winds. By their nature, they invoke our creativity and inspiration. So they are limited only by our vision. When you seek to do sky magic, consider for a moment which wind would carry your wishes out into the world. Purple, perhaps for a fresh start or seeking a new way of looking at a problem. Call in the south wind, perhaps, for love or to find the strength to achieve your aims. Call in the dun wind of the west to bring you healing harvest. Call in the north wind to guide lost souls or carry prayers to those who have passed over. Sudden localized world winds and singular gusts of wind were believed to be caused by the fairies, especially those which occurred in a small corner of a field that picked up the tufts of grass or hay. Sometimes they were seen as blessings and as the fairies helping the farmers with their labor, and at other times they were treated with fear and thought to bring illness and bad luck. The fairy wind was said to be especially powerful, capable of ripping the roof off a house if those within it had angered the sheep, or if they were defending their treasures or lands. The fairies are well known to consider any patch of land with a wrath upon it to be their own. And while they were thought to bless the people who own such lands and let them alone, they were also thought to take their own portion of the crops that grew near them. Fairies, man, you don't want to mess with them. You don't want to mess with them. Fair warning. Yeah. (laughs) 
Ancient Druids, Romans, and numerous other spiritual magical paths over the years have used the flight of birds as a means to define wisdom from nature and even make prophecies or augury from their movements. There are numerous ways this divination may be done, but central to it all is the ability to be connected and at peace in a natural environment. The flight of birds, their songs, their movements towards and away from you, and how they interact with each other will be your divinatory response. Interpreting this takes some sensitivity and intuition, rather like reading someone's body language. Here you are reading the body language of nature to guide you. Another way to define using birds is to begin your day by asking the spirits for a sign. Look out for any birds that cross your path during the day and interpret your answer in relation to the lore of different birds. Here are a few examples. And we personally, birds come to us a lot. You know I love a crow. I know. I know you do. Like, attack of the crows, man. It happens. The owl. The owl's name in Gaelic means the crone of the night, which tells you a lot about its nature and reputation. Able to see into the dark, the owl is associated with psychic senses and seeing spirits, as well as wisdom and knowledge. The owl shows you the hidden side of nature and helps to build an awareness of the other world. Frequently seen at twilight, the in-between time when the fairies and other spirits of the land are also most often seen. She teaches about walking in balance between this world and the other and carrying what she has learned by traveling to and fro. I love owls so much. Should I tell you about how there are two distinct different owls outside my window? Um, I haven't heard, yeah, I haven't heard them since the last time we had the windows open, which was probably October, but there were two different distinct hoot patterns and we looked up the different hoots and it's two different owls which is very cool that is cool it felt very harry pottery well duh duh (laughs) the raven the raven is a bird of fate and prophecy she offers protection through troubled times and can be seen as an omen associated with troubles and difficult points in our lives reminding us that these are part of the normal weather in any lifetime. Ravens urge the use of truth and honorable conduct, being aligned to the currents of sovereignty within ourselves that demand a high standard of behavior for the gifts of prophecy and wisdom to be opened up within us nevermore. Mm. The eagle. Eagles are closely associated with the upper world and the sacred high places of the Celtic tradition where mystics would seek vision and enlightenment from the gods. Scottish clan chieftains and the old kings of Ireland used to wear eagle feathers in their hats as signs of their status. Another Gaelic name for the eagle means eye of the sun, and it has long held solar associations of power, vitality, and wisdom. The swan. The swan is the bird of the bards and poets, bringing in the qualities of love and soulfulness to all they touch. Swans represent the soul's journey to the other world in search of inspiration or true love. Creativity is seen as stemming from the other world or fairy in the Celtic traditions. And the swan is the bird of inspiration, drawing this creativity up into the mortal world. I love swans are so beautiful. There are two that live on Blair Lake. And their names are Siegfried and Odette. And I love them. Oh my God. I love that. (laughs) I think they're like, they're very old too. Oh yeah. I've seen them for at least 10 years. So I think they're even older than that. 
Oh, I wonder if they can live forever. They probably can. They probably can. Probably. Magical beings. Yes. So next part of the Google Doc, we have gods, goddesses, spirits, and allies of Celtic magic. Gods and goddesses may exist as entities in their own right who inhabit a world, dimension, or reality that may run parallel with our own or exist beneath the fabric of our own space and time continuum. They may be entities who have attached themselves to the construct of deity created by humanity. The gods can only be examined and explained subjectively, and this in itself is a limiting factor. We are unable to peer at them through a microscope or dissect them in a laboratory. There is no scientific method to prove that the gods and goddesses exist, but this fact has not stopped or hindered humankind in developing relationships with deity. It seems that we intrinsically want to be in touch with deity. We hunger and thirst for a connection with something that is not human, that is beyond the senses. How we address the question of deific existence may be based on our relationship with it. The Celts were no different. Here is a non-exhaustive list of some major deities that were revered in Celtic mythology. Woo. All right. First one. Rhiannon rings like a bell through the night and wouldn't you uh, love uh, to uh, love her? Uh. All right. Anyway, <laughs> thank you, Stevie Nicks. That was great. Uh, much appreciated. Rhiannon. Rhiannon represents the great queen. In Europe, she was worshipped in the guise of Eponya, the great bear. Rhiannon appeared to be one of the Celts' most loved goddesses. Her role as great queen is varied. We first encounter her as a strong, independent woman who appears on horseback from the mists of the Celtic Otherworld to lead the hero, Pule, on a chase to win her affections. Here, she is seen to be acting against the wishes of her otherworldly family, and this rebellious nature is a powerful attribution that exemplifies the great queen's independent spirit. Try as Pule may, his pursuit of her by horseback is never fast enough to catch her. Eventually, in frustration, he calls out to her to stop, and she does, chastising him for not having asked earlier and exhausting his horse in the process. Love it, savage. She is fully representative of the sovereignty of the land, the queen atop the horse, and her groom, Pule, by means of his marriage to Rhiannon, is perceived as being wed to the land itself. Rhiannon embodies the spirit of the land. She is powerful, sexually assertive, and fiercely independent. She is the epitome of the eternal goddess of land and sovereignty. Within a year of their marriage, she gives birth to a son and dons the mother aspect of the goddess, but her son is stolen from the crib at three days old. Rhiannon is wrongly accused by her servants of having destroyed and eaten her child, and in return, she is punished. Bereft and grieving, she accepts her punishment without complaint. Meanwhile, her son mysteriously appears unstable on May's Eve in place of a foal, and so begins Rhiannon's association as equine goddess and her son as the divine foal god. Rhiannon's attributions are simultaneously divine and painfully human. She is the goddess made incarnate. She is the manner by which we can see through our own tribulations, our own suffering, and sense the divine within. She rings like a bell through the night. Mm. Oh, Stevie did good. Stevie did good. <laughs> Saradwin. Where Rhiannon represents sovereignty of the land and the connection between the people and the land, Saradwin offers us the route to empowerment, magic, and transformation. She is the one who opens the door of mystery and offers us a glimpse to our point of origination. 
She is the mother and the guise of a magician, the great witch. She is simultaneously a powerful magician and a humble mother, and yet her human guise acts as a conduit for the magic. She is feeling, loving mother who is moved to magic in order to save her son from shame owing to his ugliness. In the tale of the birth of Tallahassee, Saradwin took to brewing Awen, which she intended to be consumed by her son. But when Awen had other plans and was a young innocent man employed to steer the cauldron who received the drops. In her fury, Saradwin chased the youth through the three realms of land, water, and air, pushing the youth further and further into mystery. In her anger, she consumed the youth, only to find that she was with child. The child when born was of such beauty that her heart broke with compassion. She set the child free to sail a river in the laps of the gods. This child became the prophet and barred Tallahassee, who named means he with the radiant brow. He is the embodiment of Awen, the sum totality of its power coalesce into a single being. Saradwin is the transformer. She is the source of magic and the great witch queen. Her symbol is the cauldron, that stereotypical emblem of the witch. She is perhaps one of the most powerful allies in magic that is available to the Celtic magician. She is a helpful aid for the gaining of inspiration, for clear sight and vision, and for the wisdom of the plant, tree, and animal kingdom. It's so like fascinating because after reading this and like reading this before, you don't really realize like she's everywhere. Yeah, she's in everything too. Yeah. She brewed that, she brewed the universe. Yes. You know? Yes. And also, I, I want to say a lot of people eating. <laughs> I know. Celtic mythology. I know. <laughs> I mean, there's probably people eating in every culture's mythology, but I'm just seeing this pop up a lot. Yes. <laughs> or now. Oh my God. Hey, yes. I mean, people eat, people eat, there are some, uh, you know, cannibalism. You I'm know, not going to go down yeah. the rabbit hole. I'm not nope. going to go down the rabbit hole of the nope. fucking um, the national parks. You've seen that. Oh yeah. No, no, no. We're not doing that. Nope. Nope. (laughs) Pivoting. (laughs) Sheer is traditionally associated with the realm of sea and forms the head of the dynastic house, traditionally called the house of Sheer, which represents the powers of the sea. Sheer is representative of the abundance of the sea and the influence of ocean on land. He's most prevalent in that exquisite no man's land between wave crash and tide line. Ooh, I love that. Uh-huh. All the nourishing factors of the sea can be seen with Sheer. He sustains and simultaneously represents the singularity of the soul. Sheer is a powerful ally for deep magic where one needs to tap into the singularity of the universe. He is able to help us understand the light and shadow aspect of ourselves and the deep currents of emotion, helping us to understand why we may respond in certain manners to different situations in our lives. The ocean's influence is constant. It's subtle corridors of currents, bringing warmth and nourishment to the land. Our weather patterns are affected by the mood and motion of our planet's salty waters. This is the realm of Sheer. To connect to him is to be aware of the power and influence of the ocean and to honor it for its gifts. And also, I'm so sorry if that is an incorrect pronunciation of this god of the sea. Um, Please feel free to correct us if this is incorrect. Next one, you've probably heard of before. Bridget, the guise of the goddess as healer and nurturer. Sustenance and warmth can be seen in the many names of Bridge or Bridget, or she who gave her name to Britain. 
Brigantia, meaning exalted one. She's possibly one of the most loved and revered goddesses who was worshipped throughout the British Isles and Northern Europe. The coming of the church could not eradicate this goddess. Her priestesses became nuns and the Irish church incorporated her as St. Bridget. She lives to this day. Wells and springs, rivers and trees are dedicated to her and towns continue to bear her name. She's the patron goddess of poets, doctors and smiths. She is the rising goddess of the spring and her festival is held around the 1st or 2nd of February in the pagan calendar and popularly called Imbolc. Bridget is the practical aspect of the divine mother. She is the healer of ailments, the entertainer, the hardworking smith who creates tools to enable our agricultural endeavors. She's compassionate and sensitive, and she sings the song of the land. By connecting to her attributes, we can sense the sovereignty of the land and learn how to connect on a practical level to that power. I mean, you hear uh, Bridget, I mean, all of these gods and goddesses are honestly like everywhere and especially yeah. this next one because Sean you you know this next one real well yeah before we pop over to him I just want to say that every time I'm sick I pray to Bridget you know after I'm done mm-hmm. praying to the deities that I work with I always uh, send a prayer over to Bridget as well just because she has always like felt like the healer to me and um, yeah. I can't wait for Imbolc our next Sabbath um, because I'm going to be setting up a little altar to her. So oh, I'm excited. That. Yeah. Okay. So popping over to my man, Kurenonos. So excited. The hunter and the great horned God, God of the wild, God of the underworld and the great father. Kurenonos is known to all Celtic areas in one form or another. The Druids knew him as Hugarden, the horned God of fertility. He was portrayed sitting in a lotus position with horns or antlers on his head, long curling hair, a beard, and naked, except for a neck torque, and sometimes holding a spear and shield. His symbols are the stag, ram, bull, and horned serpent. His associations are virility, fertility, animals, physical love, nature, woodlands, reincarnation, crossroads, wealth, commerce, and warriors. Iron Age Celts everywhere, but most notably in Gaul. Venerated a horned deity who was associated with antlers, deer, serpents, and other animals. This figure is commonly called Kurnanos, most likely from the Celtic word kur, meaning horn. Epigraphic evidence for his worship is found on the famous Pillar of the Boatman in Paris, original home to the Parsei tribe dating to about 14 CE, as well as in Luxembourg where a metal plaque dedicated to him was found, probably made by the local Travare tribe. Arguments have been made that associate Kurenonos with the medieval English figure Hearn. Other horn gods are found throughout the Celtic diaspora. Petroglyphs and sculptures of horn gods have been found in Cisalpine Gaul and Celtibura. The most famous Kurenonos figure is found in relief on the Gunjestrip cauldron found in Jutland in 1891. Arguments for dating this are complex and vary from around 150 to 100 BCE. Other, wilder arguments date it to anywhere up to 300 CE, but these are less convincing. The Kurenonos relief on the cauldron gives us his most classic appearance, suited, sitting cross-legged with antlers and torques, holding a horned serpent. 
Here we see him as shamanic, meditative figure, lord of the animals, but posed as still, connected, rather than hunting or herding, giving us great clues into how to use this ancestral path to connect with spirits and with the land around us, and how to work with Karananos himself. Your man. Your man. Yeah, yeah. I'm really enjoying um, working with him. I think he's teaching me a lot about many of his aspects, especially connecting back into nature. Um, You know, I'm constantly seeing bucks now and I feel him in the woods. And I, I realize that he's been around for a while and I just, you know had my head up my ass as usual. No, you didn't know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So like, that's a little lesson. I think that like a lot of these deities, I think before they officially introduce themselves, they do like kind of screen us a little bit. Like they oh, do yeah. kind of look into us and they're kind of like, all right, you know, like what's, what's their deal. I think they pop in at certain points of our lives. Like when we're very young, maybe when we're older And before they like kind of formally come in just to kind of see like how we connect with their energy and realize, yeah, realize I've been connecting with his energy for a long time. So really fun. Okay. We're almost done. Promise. Almost done. So next one, Lou, the shining one, the sun God, God of war, many skilled and fair haired one, a hero God. His feast is Lunasad, a harvest festival, and he is associated with ravens. His symbol is the white stag in Wales, and he is known to have a magic spare and rod sling. One of his magic hounds was obtained by a blood fine for killing another. He is a carpenter, mason, smith, harper, poet, druid, physician, and goldsmith. His associations are war, magic, commerce, reincarnation, lightning, water, arts, and crafts, journeys, martial arts, blacksmith, poets, musicians, historians, sorcerers, healing, revenge, initiation, and prophecy. Go Lou, seriously. Wow. Damn. Big resume he's got there. Yeah. All right. Here's one that I adore. I oh, think yes. This one is so cool. The Morrigan or Anne Morrigan. The Morrigan is known as the Great Queen, Supreme War Goddess, Queen of Phantoms or Demons, Spectre Queen, and a Shapeshifter. She reigns over the battlefield, helping with her magic, but did not join into the battles. She is associated with crows and ravens. She takes on the crone aspect of the goddess, the Great Mother, and the Queen of Fairies. In her darker aspect, she is the goddess of war, fate, and death. She went fully armed into battle carrying two spears. The Karen Crow is her favorite disguise. She is also the goddess of rivers, lakes, and freshwater, patroness of priestesses and witches, and associated with revenge, the night, magic, and prophecy. I think she's so fucking cool. Oh, she's badass. She's so badass. And she's she is literally everywhere. Everywhere. I feel like she tries to talk to every single person in her own way. (laughs) I think that, you know as a goddess of battle, of aggression, of, you know, she has so many aspects, fate and death. She's a dark aspect. I think with so many people kind of entering the witchcraft world and some of the first things that they kind of dive into, whether this is good or bad for them, shadow work. Mm-hmm. And who is kind of the emblem of the shadow, if not Anne Morrigan. So mm-hmm. I think that a lot of practitioners are attracted to her because she really, you know, pushes that darker side. And 
we have come to realize that like light and dark, there is none without the other, mm-hmm. you know, and shadow work being huge. We're going to dive head first into that darker side of ourselves. So, mm-hmm. and Morgan, yeah, she's getting a lot of candles lit in her honor. Oh yeah. Uh, yes. Mm-hmm. So last one promise this last one. Woo. The genius Loki, every single event that happens on the face of the planet is recorded. It is felt nothing entirely lost, but becomes a part of the fabric of the space. The event occurred within. This is the spirit of place, otherwise known as genius Loki. The genius Loki are the echoes of things past and the things that are affecting the present. They are the energy left behind from observation and devotion, from humankind's interactions with their local. The spirits of place can appear as guardians of a particular location. They can be interpreted as the feeling that we get when we enter a place and sense it. They may be the spirit of a river, a well, a spring, a brook, a cave, or an impression on a hillside. They may be represented as a chalk figure or an ancient hawthorn tree. Spirits of place occupy a defined location and may have arisen from myth, from an ancient story that is reputed to have occurred at that spot. They may be born from a historic event, or they may be something so mysterious that we are unable to give it a reason for being. It is simply there, something that we feel. The spirits of place are everywhere, and to the magical practitioner, they are vitally important to the practice of magic, for our magic must take into account the spirits of an individual location. Whether this is a seaside shore or the back garden of the home we have lived in for decades, By learning about the nature of the spirits in our local, we move into a relationship with them and they can become powerful allies in our magical workings. By learning the stories that surround the natural places of our locality, we begin to forge connections with our land that we otherwise may not have had. And that is Celtic magic, baby. Mic drop! That is the T. I think that like last line is perfect for like kind of summarizing this whole thing. Although it's like impossible to summarize this topic. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But I think by saying, you know, forging a connection with the land, that is like the whole, that's the whole point. It's just like really having this deep veneration and adoration for the land that you're living on, the sea that's close, the, the sea or the bodies of water that yeah. are close to you, the sky above you, just like being so happy to just be here now and to exist in the moment. And I think like, if you take nothing away from this Celtic magic episode, take away the fact that we are all learning to be here now. And that is probably one of the most important lessons you'll ever learn that, you know, worrying only hurts you, right? You know, like, what did the Buddhists say that um, when you worry, you suffer twice, you know? So like worrying, thinking about the future, agonizing about it, that is all going to hurt you now and being here now and not having a single thought in your head about the past or the future is the way the ideal aspect of living, I guess you could say from a Celtic perspective. So just enjoying the moment. Golf clap. (laughs) Deserved a real good golf clap. That was beautiful. Yeah. I think this was a beautiful topic. I think it's been probably our most intense topic to date. Uh, yeah, Sean, you fucking did this Google doc like no other. Yeah. 21 damn pages. And I could have gone longer because this topic is crazy endless, you know, but and maybe we'll have like an expert on Celtic magic. Maybe we'll have a oh, practitioner that would be, that would be come on and yeah. really tell us about their, their practice and their being and just 
There's so much. And maybe there'll be a part three, a part four, a part five. Why the fuck not? <laughs> it's our it's our birthday, baby. We can do what we were. It's our not birthday. It's our show. It can be our birthday. It can be our it's birthday our every birthday. day. It's our birthday every day. Every day. Uh, yeah. Um, I hope you loved, you know, our Celtic magic episode because we loved it. And um, you know, if you would like to see more on Celtic magic, let us know. We apologize if we didn't get to something that you particularly practice or your, your specific UPG with Celtic magic, or um, just something that you really wanted to hear about. But that is a great opportunity to email us, to message us on Instagram um, and let us know what you want to hear from us. Because if, if we're not giving you the information that you want to want to hear, definitely tell us what you want. Yeah. So enjoy this. Let this seep in, digest it. Enjoy part one and part two of Celtic magic. We obviously did. Mm -hmm. And if you liked this episode, you better listen to our past episodes and get ready for our future episodes and get mm-hmm. ready for more stuff that's going to be coming for you because things are happening, friends. They're, They're happening. happening, friends. They're happening. So you know where to find us on all, um, oh God, social media platforms. Like, come on, you you know, so we don't, yeah. we don't. It's, find it's us on the year. Instagram. Yeah. Yeah. But follow us if you haven't. Have make it your new year's resolution to follow everything that we do because we are posting every single day over there. So we are sharing all the things that we do in our lives and our practice. And, uh, we want you in the journey. We want you part of the team. So, uh, come on in, listen to the past episodes, check out the shop, go join our mailing list. You know what to fucking do. You know what to do. Yeah. I don't know what that was, <laughs> but that was, that was a, I don't, I don't know. Maybe because it's snack time. I don't know. Oh gosh. Yep. Blood blood sugar's getting low. (laughs) Let's fucking, let's take it away and have snack time, which is, we will see you next week. Bye witches. Stay hydrated.